Welcome to Pushback, I'm Aaron Maté. The U.S. government has imposed new sanctions targeting the Internet Research Agency, the Russian troll farm accused of meddling in the 2016 U.S. election. The Treasury Department says that the IRA and its financier, Evgeny Prigozhin, are continuing, quote, attempts to subvert American democratic processes. The IRA has put out thousands of posts on U.S. social media accounts. Only a small percentage, though, actually concerned the 2016 election, and the firm spent just $46,000 on Facebook ads before that vote. But still, its activities have been widely portrayed as a massive threat to U.S. democracy and possibly decisive in Donald Trump's election victory. Well, to discuss this, I spoke recently to Jefferson Morley. He is a journalist, author, and editor of a blog called The Deep State. Jefferson, thanks for coming on Pushback. So your piece takes issue with an argument that I've made, um, which is that it was disingenuous, I think, on Mueller's part to suggest that this Russian troll farm was a part of a, a sweeping and systematic Russian government interference campaign. Your piece, right. put, my, yeah, go ahead. What I was saying in my piece was, I think that there's a not a formal connection between the Russian government and the Internet Research Agency, but a very strong informal relationship, which means that there's really a, a kind of functional or transactional connection. Okay, so, and you base that on the fact that this, the owner of the troll farm, this guy Provision, uh, has, close ties, has close ties to Vladimir Putin and has multiple Russian government contracts. Yeah, I mean, really the way I got into this was by um, investigating the, the career of Yevgeny Prigozhin, um, who I think is a, a kind of a key character. And in all that, when I was started covering the Mueller investigation and look, you know, following the indictments, I felt like, you know, the Mueller indictment of the IRA doesn't really explain what the IRA was or who was in charge of it or give a lot of context. It's a very terse legal document. So I began to try to, to reporting on Prigozhin to understand what, you know, what's really going on here. How did this indictment come about? So that was the the reason for my, you know, interest in the subject, or that's the direction my interest took. I got it. And so I guess my, my point here is your piece certainly shows that, that Prigozhin has ties to Vladimir Putin. He has a lot of government contracts and some very serious government contracts, including in, in private military operations. But, but that doesn't necessarily mean to me then that the, the activities of one of his business is a part of a Russian government operation. And I'll give you an analog. I'll give you an analog, which is, you know, Amazon has, you know, million dollar contracts with the government, including with the CIA. But I wouldn't then uh, deduce from that that the Washington Post is a part of a U.S. government propaganda operation, even though even though the Washington Post often mirrors U.S. government propaganda. Right. I mean, that's a fair point. But I, I, I think that, you know, if you, if you want to make the analogy more precise, and this is what I tried to do in my piece, the, the analogy to Prigozhin and, and the Internet Research Agency and his other companies is not Amazon. Uh, a better analogy in the American context is Eric Prince and his private military contractors. You know, like Eric Prince, Prigozhin has the ear of the most powerful man in the country. That you can't really say that about Jeff Bezos and Amazon. They, they don't have 
Bezos doesn't have access to Trump. He doesn't work in in parallel with him or test his ideas out on him. Eric Prince does. And so too with Prigozhin. He he works hand in glove with with Putin on very sensitive national security issues. So I mean, you're right. It's what I'm saying is not, you know, Prigozhin doesn't have a government position. His connection with Putin is more informal than that. But if you look at the history of that relationship, these guys work closely together. And so what I would say is it is it is very difficult in the Russian context to think of Prigozhin and any company that he owns working at cross purposes with Putin. To the contrary, I think the assumption has to be that he is working in concert with Putin. Or there's something in between, which is that powerful people in countries, especially in a place like Russia, where there is obviously you know, uh, a revolving door between uh, government and the oligarchs that control most of society. It's, or it's, it's a very uh, close-knit relationship that, you know, powerful interests often r reflect the prevailing dominant views. So in this case, it's not surprising to me that a uh, social media clickbait firm would represent the uh, viewpoint of the Kremlin. But this is where, this is what I find that, this is where I find this whole argument about this Russian troll farm being a part of a Russian government propaganda operation confusing is because if you look at the actual content, so little of it had to do with the actual election. I found it to be very juvenile in its, in its, in its, uh, in its nature. And so the idea, if this was a part of a Russian government operation or on their behalf, I think that that looks poorly on the Kremlin and I don't think the Kremlin would want anything to do with it. And certainly it doesn't look like the sophisticated propaganda operation that we hear so much about in terms of how this troll farm is discussed in the U.S. Uh, media and political establishment. Okay, well, I mean, let's take that apart a little bit. Sophisticated? I mean, they generated a huge amount of content. They, the, the IRA developed, you know, I think they had 3,800 Twitter accounts. They had multiple avatars. So, I mean, the, 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 the IRA campaign was sophisticated in its scope. Um, and second of all, you know, I mean, uh, the idea on social media is not to win intellectual arguments. It's to, uh, you know, change people's behavior, affect their outlook. So a lot of this stuff could be um, uh, uh, not particularly controversial or not particularly intelligent, but simply designed to gain the faith uh, and, and the return views of consistent viewers. So a sophisticated strategy, I think, would involve lots of material that was completely unobjectionable and and reassuring. And I think if you look at the content generated by one of their avatars, for example, the blacktivist uh, 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 persona, you know, a lot of that was um, very reasonable stuff. Some black person gets shot by a cop and they say, you know, isn't this terrible? And there was nothing particularly provocative about that. But if you if you then gain viewers with that and then bombard them with, you know, Hillary Clinton called you a super predator as part of a strategy to drive down black turnout and you do that on a massive scale, I would say the content could be unobjectionable and juvenile and sophisticated all at the same time. 
So I think that's what was going on with the Internet Research Agency was there was this kind of targeted information pollution, right? You, 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 you put out massive amounts of information to, you know, change voting behavior at a mass scale. You're not worried about, about prevailing with, in particular, with any one person. You want to generate a lot of stuff that, you know, and to mobilize Trump partisans and demobilize Clinton partisans. And I think when I look at the at the at the IRA campaign, I see, you know, that's what was going on now, you know, uh, yeah. So did it make the difference in the election? That's a whole nother discussion. I think what matters here is did the Russians think that it might make a difference? Right. We can't we can't solve. I mean, we can't resolve the question of, you know, did it make a difference? That's always going to be unknowable. An election is not a scientific experiment that we can repeat. But did the Russians think that it might? So, or did this Putin ally think that it was worth his while to spend his money on a social media campaign that might affect the American election? I think the answer to that question is clearly yes. So whether or not it made a difference, they thought it might make a difference. And that's the tip off to what was going on. They believed that they could change the outcome by doing this kind of stuff. I think that's a measure I, of their seriousness. I think you're making a huge assumption there about their motives and what their intentions were. I don't, hold on a second, hold on, hold on. I don't see why, uh, what distinguishes this operation from normal clickbait trash. I mean, the point is with clickbait, you target certain demographics in a bid to bring up, to build up followers from those demographics. And that's why the IRA had a lot of posts aimed at evangelical Christians and gun owners and African-Americans. And then you use your following to sell ads. That's what Mueller even found that they did, uh, selling their ads for something like 25 to $50 um, a pop to, to, to vendors who wanted to reach their audiences. So there was a commercial component to this. That was Facebook's, in fact, original conclusion before they came under pressure from Democrats in Congress uh, to come up with something else. And again, it's, look, no one's defending uh, fooling anybody. So obviously there were some Russians at this troll farm who sought to fool Americans and did uh, uh, pr uh, exploit uh, racist uh, fears amongst racists. And they also tried to exploit uh, anger about police brutality against African-Americans. But then the question is becomes, how much credit do we give this? Do we assume it's a part of a Russian government operation? Especially when, dis when discussion about it, as I think we've seen, overshadows so many of the other factors that actually get people to vote. I see this thing as sort of a as a huge way to deflect from the real issues, the real causes of Donald Trump's victory. I mean, I'm not trying to deflect from the real causes of Donald Trump's victory. I'm trying to understand what happened here. And so to go back to the beginning, I mean, the IRA is a company controlled by a close ally and fixer of Putin's. So what they are doing, I think, I mean, to me, it, 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 Prigozhin would not consciously cross Putin. If to me, he has to be supporting Putin's agenda. Why does he care about the American social media market to make money off of clickbait? You know, I don't think so. That That's not the way Prigozhin operates. He has built an empire around his 
closeness to Putin. He got his start hosting President George W. Bush's first visit to Moscow. He built his company around government contracts, first to the military. Then he was asked to create uh, Wagner, the, the private military company that is that is the exact analog of Blackwater and was created by the Russian high command for the same reason, to run deniable missions that would not get you would not get the government in trouble. And that's what Wagner is, is has done in Ukraine, in Syria, and in the Central African Republic. Putin has 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 utilized Wagner in the same way that the Bush administration utilized Blackwater as a mercenary force to get you know dirty work done where vital national interests were seen as being at stake. That background cannot be separated or detached from everything else that the, that the IRA did because Prigozhin is the guy behind both of them. So I think that it, 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 it's not, you can't just say there couldn't be any connection there. Prigozhin is the connection. And he's the guy who's who's carrying out these missions for Putin. Now, you know, do we know, was he consciously directing, you know, the IRA social media campaign? Well, there was a guiding intelligence behind this thing, and it was clearly aimed at helping Trump and harming Clinton. And that's perfectly consent, cons, consistent with Putin's worldview, right? He wants NATO out of his hair or n not threatening him on not being as aggressive on his uh, on his Western border as they have been over the past 20 years. He wants to push back at that. He resented Obama's reliance on multilateralism. Um, he thought Obama was preachy and, and moralizing. And, he, and, and Trump is much more to, to, his, to his liking in terms of his larger political project. Does that mean that Putin does everything that, you know, that Trump wants? No. We, you know, when, 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 when the Iranians shot down the the U.S. drone, Putin's guy came out in public and said, you know, that drone was over Iranian territory. The Iranians were perfectly justified in shooting it down. So the the, alliance, the tactical alliance between Putin and Trump, you know, doesn't hold in all cases. It's very transactional. But in the case of the 2016 election, yeah, I think you have to believe that Prigozhin was acting in concert with Putin to achieve Putin's foreign policy goals. To say anything else, I think, makes too many assumptions that are just at odds with the history of these two men's relationship. Well, but again, that requires to me so many assumptions. First of all, it requires taking on faith the intelligence community, the, the intelligence community assessment that Putin ordered this influence campaign to elect Donald Trump. Which, which, you know, which even I mean, there, even there, the NSA had moderate confidence on that, and you know the um, the House and the Republicans, who obviously are, are partisan, but but they issued a report from the House Intelligence Committee back when back when the Republicans controlled it, taking issue with those findings uh, in line with what the NSA I mean, found. My argument does not depend on that Putin ordered this. Okay, I, I, I you know. I don't have I don't have a huge amount of confidence in that. I see it as a confluence of interests, not a direct order. Um, uh, uh, so you know, uh, I see them working in concert. Um, certainly, nothing that the IR that the IRA did uh, uh, in in the in its social media campaign was um, 
uh, against Putin's interests. And it's interesting, and I think you've pointed this out in some of your writing, that the, the volume of social media posting from the IRA actually increases after Trump's election, which to me indicates that they were trying to you know, generate, they were encouraged by what they had done and felt that they could, that doing more of it would continue to serve their interests. And so they, the volume of social media posting actually increases in 2017 until they're finally cut off and the whole thing, and the whole thing comes to an end. But that is, I think, what they were aiming to do. Uh, I mean, I, so, but I don't think the, I don't think the, you know, Putin ordered this or all of that. I mean, I got it. You know, maybe, maybe not. I got it. Okay, but but then again, this takes me back to the actual content of the posts themselves. Nobody can point to me can point me to any ads that they think were particularly uh, effective in swaying voters to vote for Trump. And I think that's partly because a the ads were not just juvenile, but they were minimally related to the election. So you take the study from New Knowledge, this firm that was commissioned by the Senate to do a study on this, and this is their this is their finding. The IRA's posts, quote, were minimally about the candidates with, quote, roughly 6% of tweets, 18% of Instagram posts, and 7% of Facebook posts having mentioned Trump or Clinton by name. So you have a lot of social media posts. I get it. And we've seen some of them um, there, you know, but again, but the, even, the, even the Senate's own studies note that how minimally they were about the election. And I don't get, I don't see how you get from posts that are so minimally about the election uh, to a weighing the possibility that these posts helped influence the election. Why do you think they were, why do you think they waged the campaign? Why go through all this effort? I believe the uh, reporters who have, who have embedded with this, with the IRA, who basically call it a social media marketing company. That's how it started out. Uh, Prigozhin wanted to uh, raise the profile of some of his restaurants or his catering business, so he wrote, he got them to write fake reviews for his hot dog business. Uh, and I think that continued, and, and they aim their propaganda at domestic audiences as well. I'm not doubting, I, I'm not what? doubting, I'm not doubting that the employees reflect the interests of their owner, Prigozhin, and possibly Prigozhin favored Trump, but, and it, it's true that possibly? more, it's, it, it, it's, Possibly, it's, Aaron? Well, I don't know, Prigozhin. I, I, I don't know who he favored. No, well, I mean, that's the point of my article is I think you need to, to understand this guy. It's not merely possible that Prigozhin supported Putin's ends. It is virtually certain. There is nothing. There is, I wouldn't say nothing because I don't know everything he does, but there is very little that that guy does that does not advance Putin's interests. So, so to create a category of activity and say he wasn't pursuing Putin's foreign policy interests in this one category while he's running a mercenary force in a combat zone, in three combat zones on his behalf, I just, how plausible is that? I don't take on faith that electing Donald Trump was Vladimir Putin's goal. We've been told that by U.S. intelligence agencies. Uh, I don't actually believe it. I don't think there's actually, we haven't seen any, any evidence that he, he wanted Donald Trump elected, he, or at least that he ordered an influence campaign. He did say when Donald Trump was by his side in Helsinki that he preferred Trump, although I'm not sure what else he was supposed to say when he's standing next to Trump. You know, but uh, this, this notion that he was doing, this notion that he was doing Putin's bidding, again, with content, I mean, look, some of the most popular content, you have stuff like, I'll read you some of the posts. There's a, there's a, what looks like a homeless veteran and it says, 
like and share if you, th if you think our veterans must get benefits before refugees. Um, that was one of the most shared posts. Uh, we have, uh, there was one about, okay. Okay. Uh, so, so, there was so. one about, uh, like if you believe in Jesus, keep scrolling if you don't. I mean, it's, I don't, like, I don't get, I don't know how we get from this to Prigozhin carrying out Putin's interest, whether that's Putin's, you know, stated interest or what Prigozhin perceives to be Putin's interest. But I mean, I mean, take that first one. That's the first one is, a, you know, is a good example. Do you think veterans should be, uh, 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 you know, get benefits before, uh, you know, illegal immigrants? I mean, this is a way of binding yourself and, 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 and creating confidence and winning, you know, a viewer. So it, it's not it's not about Clinton or Trump, but it's it's aimed at mobilizing Trump supporters. Likewise, you know, Hillary Clinton called your son a super predator, which was another ad. You know, it's not pro-Trump. It's demobilizing black voters. I mean, the intent there. So so here's the argument, you know, it's like you're saying, you know, these IRA guys create this content because it's going to make it's going to make them some money, you know, because it's a because it's a clickbait thing. I mean, I just think they had to have a mission. And, the, you know, the mission was to mobilize Trump voters and demobilize Clinton voters. And that's perfectly consistent with what with Putin's foreign policy view. He felt that Clinton was very warlike. Clinton was pro-intervention in Syria, which, you know, Putin didn't, I mean, uh, which Putin didn't want. He wanted a free hand to defend Assad. He didn't want to be fighting the Americans there. He resented the intrusion in, in Ukraine. He wanted to push back there, you know, and so all of the, you know, his social media efforts around those and not coincidentally, you know, in in these same war zones where where the IRA is 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 is, is, is fighting Putin's perceived enemies, the, the advocates of U.S. intervention in these same areas, Prigozhin is mobilizing a combat force to do the same thing. So to me, it makes sense that they're, wor they're working, the paramilitary company and the social media company are working towards the same ends. It would be very strange, I think, to assume that they weren't working towards the same ends or that they were working at cross purposes or that they weren't, or that they weren't related at all. You know, I think the most likely assumption or the most the most plausible way to look at it is that they're working in concert, you know, that um, that they're on the same page. I, uh, I guess I think it's certainly very plausible. That there's a convergence of interest there. And I get what you're saying about how someone in Prigozhin's position would not be doing anything against Putin's interests. I get that. But then. I just don't think that necessarily means that he's doing it on Putin's behalf or in concert with Putin, in league with Putin, especially given, no. the, especially given the quality of the content. And again, especially given what reporters have found, which is that this is a, a social media marketing firm. Adrian Chen did a long piece on this for the New York Times. Russian reporters have done the same thing. It's, look, I'm not disputing that, there, that, that this troll farm uh, engaged in deceptive behavior, tried to fool people. Uh, even had a preference for Trump. Uh, I think it's true that more posts disparaged Clinton than disparaged Trump, but even some even disparaged Trump as well. But my concern here then is with, the, well, A, asserting as Mueller did that it was a part of a sweeping and systematic 
Russian government interference operation when he knows full well that he cannot, he, he has no evidence at all uh, tying this to any kind of deliberate operation. And second of all, it's just, again, the, the importance that we've um, imputed uh, the troll farm uh, with, that, that it, even considering the notion that it had the, pot, the potential to suppress the African-American vote, I think, you know, requires a real kind of condescension and contempt for African-American voters, this belief that the, people don't vote or could decide not to vote because of some silly post they saw, they might have seen on, on Instagram. I mean, is that any sillier than thinking a Trump voter might be, might be motivated by, you know, a veteran should get aid before an illegal immigrant? No, I mean, these are, these are emotional appeals designed to create loyalty and create animus at a mass scale. You know, does any one of them have a, you know, a perfect chance to achieve that goal? Not really, but wh why would the IRA do this on such a massive and deceptive scale if they were not intending to achieve a mass result? That's the first part. The second thing is, and this was part of the point of my piece in, 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 in Just Security, you know, we don't know what Mueller was looking at. I think that, you know, he, I'm sure he had a he had a report on Prigozhin and the IRA and the connection. And he, he wouldn't say anything about it in his indictment or report because the whole thing's classified. Now, half, you know, a lot of the information in that report could probably be declassified. And Mueller would have strengthened his case immensely if he had if he had cited, the, you know, the information that's available and and kind of built his case into understanding what who is this guy and what is his company trying to achieve because he's he, he felt bound by the secrecy you know we people never got the backstory and so then people come in like you with questions which are perfectly appropriate under the circumstances if he's not going to present the evidence then you know people say he didn't present any evidence my what i was saying was if you look at the open source intelligence there's a prima facie case that Prigozhin and the IRA were acting uh, at, at a minimum, uh, you know, with uh, Putin's indulgence. All Mueller says in his report about uh, about Prigozhin and his ties to uh, Putin, uh, there's a paragraph and it's mostly redacted. But all Mueller says is numerous media sources have reported on Prigozhin's ties to Putin and the two have appeared together in public photographs. That suggests to me that Mueller is relying on media sources for his assessment here and doesn't, hasn't collected the evidence that you seem to suggest uh, that he has. Well, I mean, the fact that there, that there are redactions in the, in, in the very material that you quote, to me, is evidence that he's talking about classified information. Otherwise, it wouldn't be redacted. Now, obviously, there's tons of overclassification, and we don't know what, what's redacted, so it may or may not be reliable. But, um, you know, the open source, it's, it's not just a photograph that says that Putin and Prigozhin are connected. They, they have 20 years of business. They, they have, you know, Prigozhin has columns of Wagner paramilitaries on the front lines in Syria. Okay, that's the indication of a serious relationship, not a photograph. You know, Wagner has paramilitaries in Central African Republic in the mineral wars that Russia is deeply involved in. Wagner has paramilitaries in Ukraine where they're fighting a separatist war, uh, you know, against the against the Ukrainian government. This is not trivial or, you know, unimportant actions that they have in common. 
These, this is very, very serious stuff. So I think that their relationship is very serious. Okay. And it's not just based on a photograph. Okay. I'll make one last point and then give you the actual final wor word, which uh, uh, I'm, I'm not promising for the second time, but this will be it because, we, because we've had a long discussion. I, uh, I, I just want to say why I approached this with skepticism. Uh, because it's not just in this case that I see a lack of direct evidence. I think for over two years now, we've been subjected to a uh, fear-mongering campaign that uh, portrays Russia as a existential threat, which it is in some ways because it has nuclear weapons, but, but the ways in which it's presented to us as a nuclear threat is through this alleged hacking of emails and social media uh, use. And I think the the effectiveness of that and its impact on the actual election has been overblown. I think in terms of the actual threat that that poses has been vastly exaggerated. It's not like Russian troll farmers are doing what we do to countries around the world, including imposing murderous sanctions on countries like Venezuela and Iran. Um, and overall, there's been a, 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 I think we can say with confidence, a concerted effort by people in the intelligence community and in, and in Congress to uh, portray Russia as uh, threatening the U.S. and having ties to Donald Trump that were not there. I mean, we, we heard reports early on in the Trump administration about, there was a report in the Times in February 2017 about senior Russian intelligence officials speaking to the Trump campaign, and there were leaks uh, about Michael Flynn speaking to the Russian ambassador, attempting to portray those conversations as somehow nefarious. So there's definitely been an effort to alleged something sinister when it comes to Trump and Russia. And so much of it to date, I think, has been undermined by the actual evidence, as demonstrated by Mueller's own conclusions in that he did this long investigation, couldn't find a conspiracy, and in fact could barely find any actual Russian interme intermediaries speaking to the Trump campaign, because I don't think there was this influence, this, this, this influence effort that we've been told there was. So that's why I approach not just this troll farm thing, but all these allegations about Russia with skepticism. Okay. Well, first of all, you know, the abuses of U.S. power all over the world, historically, in intervening coups, inter interfering in elections, invasions, none, none of that justifies what the Russians did. Okay. And, and, and to criticize the Russians for what they did is is in no way to excuse that U.S. record. I mean, certainly not in anything I've ever written. That's the first point. Second point is the head of the Russian intelligence agencies, the GRU and the FSB, came to Washington and met personally with the head of U.S. intelligence agencies. That was extraordinarily unusual, extraordinarily unusual. And to say that, oh, you know, there was nothing to it. We don't know the substance of those conversations. But the fact that Trump invited those people and they came and they talked to US, to Trump administration officials was a great favor to them and a sign that we like you. And that was a message from the Trump administration to the Russians. We are not hostile to you. We are friendly to you, especially after those own agencies had, had raised questions about Trump's involvement with them. That's the second point. And the, and, the, and, the, and the third point is, you know, uh, uh, the, the community of interest between the Trump, what Mueller documented, I thought very thoroughly, was 
Not a single approach from a Russian to the Trump campaign was turned away. Um, or uh, in, to the contrary, they were all pursued. And some of the most pregnant uh, 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 you know, incidents, Mueller said he did not have adequate intelligence. And you know, the, the conversations between, between Paul Manafort and Konstantin Kalimnik about election data um, uh, you know, were cut off because of, because of Manafort's secret conversations and his lies. So, you know, there's a lot that we don't know about that story that Mueller found that, you know, they were to the very end, even after Manafort's plea agreement, they're still trying to hide what the story was. And Manafort was taking extraordinary risks to do that. You know, he was he was jeopardizing his plea bargain. He was potentially asking for decades in jail to hide something. Now, you can say, well, he wasn't hiding anything. He wasn't hiding any effort to change the election. But I would say, geez, you know, that's important. Whatever he was hiding, it was important. And it went right to what did Kalimnik want? He wanted data about the election. So I don't downplay that. You do, you know, and because we have incomplete information, I can't say you're wrong. But my reading of it is not so complacent as yours. I'll put it that way. Okay, but again... You say that not a single Russian approach to the, to the Trump camp was turned away. What were the actual approaches on behalf of the Russian government? I get that there are people who are Russian or who claim to know a Russian speaking to the Trump camp, but Mueller doesn't show a single intermediary actually acting on the Kremlin's behalf with two exceptions. There's the Russian ambassador who meets with some Trump uh, officials and Mueller rules that out as being part of any kind of conspiracy. I mean, during a campaign, you meet with foreign ambassadors. And then there's a Kremlin assistant who calls back Michael Cohen when he's trying to get help building Trump Tower in Moscow. And the Kremlin assistant denies Michael Cohen's request. Everybody else, there's people who, where it's insinuated that they might be a Russian agent, like Konstantin Kalimnik, for example. Like, Kalimnik's a very good example, the one you mentioned. Yeah, uh, Mueller says he has ties to Russian intelligence. That's very ambiguous. What does that mean? He spoke to someone from Russian intelligence. He is a Russian intelligence agent. Mueller won't say. Mueller also leaves out. Mueller, M- Mueller also leaves out the we, fact. We know on. what the connection there is. Oh, wait a second. Wait a second. Mueller also leaves out the fact that Kalimnik has con- has documented ties to the U.S. State Department, where he was a sensitive source supplying information. Was something that Mueller left out of his report. And Kalimnik is meeting with Paul Manafort, and uh, both. Uh, uh, Mueller and Rick Gates, uh, who, was, who also worked for Paul Manafort, note that Manafort had, was heavily in debt and that he had a financial incentive to basically give to Kalimnik polling data, most of which was public, to show uh, both past and prospective clients that he, he could be valuable to them because he's now the uh, campaign manager on a presidential campaign that might win and he wanted to Im- impress people. How we get from that to then this belief that uh, Manafort shared polling data with Kalimnik and because Mueller says that he, Kalimnik has some vague tie to Russian intelligence while omitting his actual real ties to the U.S. And then that means that Kalimnik gave the Russian government polling data and they used that for a social media campaign that was only uh, uh, in very small terms related to the election. It just it doesn't make sense to me. Kalimnik's connection with Russian intelligence is he went to the he went to the GRU's translation school, so he was trained in translation by Russian military intelligence, in a late, very in large the 80s, organization, in the late 80s, in the late 80s, and not necessarily yeah. and not necessarily a sinister connection. 
doesn't mean he's an intelligence officer or, or agent by any means. But by the same token, the fact that he was an informant and an agent for the U.S. government doesn't preclude that he was an informant and an agent for the Russians. You know, he could have been working both sides of the street. That's a very common thing for somebody in that position to do. So, the, you know, that the argument that he was an agent of the U.S. doesn't mean he wasn't an agent of the Russians. He was playing all sides against the middle for his own benefit. Manafort was $19 million in debt to a very dangerous Russian oligarch looking to get his way out of it. And what's he doing? He, you yourself say he's sharing information, you know, election data. Well, you know, why is that the coin of the realm? Because the Russians thought that was very valuable. Why did they think it was valuable? I mean, to me, because they wanted a different, they didn't want Hillary Clinton to be president. So he's sharing it with Ukrainian, he's sharing it with Ukrainian oligarchs as well. And how we get from no, there's no contradiction there. There's no contradiction there. Okay, but then but again, the level the assumptions required to believe that this polling data was shared as a part of some interference campaign. It requires so many. Again, uh, it assumes that... No, no, I, I'm making no assumptions whatsoever. My only assumption is the fact, and it is a fact, I think that you acknowledge it, that the Russians wanted to obtain election data from the top person in the Trump campaign. How is that a fact? And that they considered how, such how material... It, how is that a fact? That they considered such material very valuable and that they and that all the people concerned lied about it. Your assumption is that, is that they lied to cover up nothing. No, 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 no. You know, no. I mean, I guess that's where we disagree. And I think no. that's where, you know, if I can sum up our differences, you know, you're complacent about that or, you know, look at it with, you know, uh, in a, you know, in a, in a non-incriminating way. And I tend to look at it as saying, you know, that's incriminating. That's, you know, that that is two readings of, you know, an incomplete record. But also, why is the record incomplete? Because Manafort's lying repeatedly, constantly, and at great danger to himself. Why would he do that if he was hiding nothing? Well, why would you Mueller risk years of your life in jail if you were hiding nothing important? Mueller, Mueller says he lies. And Mueller said a lot of people lied, but if you look at what he says they lied about, I see a overzealous prosecution team. I see a lot of inconsequential uh, uh, lies or instances where maybe Manafort couldn't remember. I have no idea, but whatever, whatever it is, I just don't, I'm not going to assume that he's lying to cover up some illicit uh, interference scheme where he's sharing polling data that the Russians then use for their social media campaign. That was I mean, only that we don't, that was we, barely we about the election. That, that was barely about the election. Yeah, of course we don't know, and this is why it's hard to prove a negative. So this is where it's like one could put out any theory, and then it could be true. It's true, but given the fact there's no indictments for any of the stuff, there's no again, as I said, there's no actual Kremlin intermediaries showing up in any of this. There are Russians, but no actual documented Kremlin intermediaries. I don't see it. I'll give you the last word, Jefferson, and then we'll wrap because we are way over time. Uh, so I guess I would just disagree with, I think that, you know, the IRA people, based on the Prigozhin-Putin relationship, can be fairly described as, you know, intermediaries between the Trump campaign and the Russian government. I'll leave it at that. And we'll leave it there. Jefferson Morley, uh, author and journalist covering intelligence and secrecy. 
His latest piece for Just Security is called How Secrecy Undermines Mueller and the Defense of Democracy. Jefferson, thank you. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you.